Thanks for joining us once again here at SCSA Church Online, where we're in the middle of a series called You Are What You Ask. And we're talking about the importance of asking the right questions in order to make better decisions. And when it comes to our life, you're smart enough to realize this, is ultimately our lives boil down to the decisions that we make. We make a certain set of decisions leads to a certain outcome. A different set of decisions leads to a different outcome. And if we're honest, we can all look back on, on our lives and say there's certain decisions that we're proud that we made, good decisions, and we would remake them in a second. But if we're honest, there's also some that we wish the exact opposite. There's some things that we did we wish that we could undo or things that we didn't do that we wish we could go back and do. There's decisions we made that we wish we, wish we could unmake and those ultimately are what lead to our regrets in life. Well, the point of this series is to help you avoid those regretful decisions, to help you make better decisions by asking better questions. Because in the end, all of us have a decision-making grid that we go through every time we, we, we make a decision. We have questions that we ask ourselves, okay? But we usually ask ourselves the wrong ones. We ask ourselves, will this make me happy? Will this make me more money? Will anyone discover or find out if I do this? We ask ourselves questions naturally. Well, all I'm saying in this series is we need to be intentional about asking ourselves the right questions in order to make better decisions and have fewer regrets. So the whole point of this series is I'm trying to equip you with four questions. Okay, each week we're looking at a different question that hopefully we can integrate into our decision-making framework that will hopefully lead us to making better decisions. And in case you missed the first two parts of this series, okay, let's go with a quick recap. The first question was called the integrity question, and that is this. It is, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? Okay, and that question, you have to ask it two times. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? So you have to pause and ask yourself, why did I make that purchase? No, really, why did I make it? I'm in debt. I can't afford it. I made that decision. Why did I make it really? Why did I stop calling my parents? No, really, why did I stop calling my parents? Why do I refuse to hang out with so-and-so? Why am I still friends with so-and-so? Why is it I stop going to church? No, really, why do I do the things that I do? What we talked about in week one, for those who missed it, is that you can't make the best decision for yourself until you learn to be honest with yourself. Okay, as long as you are lying to yourself and giving yourself bad data, you will always make bad decisions. And that week, in that first week, I challenged you to be honest with yourself. Okay, that was our challenge, is to be honest with ourselves, even when it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Okay, no one wants to feel bad about ourselves, but ultimately lying to ourselves is going to be much worse in the long run. So that was the first question, the integrity question. Last week was the legacy question, and the legacy question is this. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? We talked about last week that today's decision is tomorrow's story. And every single one of us is writing our story. You're writing the story of your life and I'm writing the story of my life one decision at a time. And you get to determine ultimately what story it is that you get to tell when all is said and done. So the decisions you're making today are part of the story you're going to tell your future spouse. The part of the story you're going to tell your kids, your grandkids, the decisions that you make at work are the, are the decisions that you're going to tell to those who look up to you, or if you're in a position of leadership, 
You're writing the story of your life one decision at a time. And we talked about last week that every decision, every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. So it's worth it. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to those who look up to you and lives are impacted by you. You owe it to yourself to pause and ask yourself this question. What story do I want to tell? Now, question number three, today's topic. Today's question is especially helpful when it comes to life's surprise decisions, okay? The decisions that come to us without any planning or that we couldn't see coming. The, the more surprise the decision is, okay, the less preparation that we have, the more A, stress-inducing it'll be, and also number two is the more likely it is that it'll lead to a regret. Like the decisions that we can see coming, like I'm gonna one point apply for a job or uh, you know it's time to buy a house or what school am I gonna go to? The decisions that we see coming, the predictable ones, we can take our time, we can make a list of pros and cons, we can seek godly counsel and godly advice, and we can make hopefully well thought out decisions. But it's the surprise decisions that we didn't see coming, that came out of nowhere, especially the ones with a time deadline, those are the ones that can cause a problem. For example, you're working and you got an okay job, it's paying the bills, it's steady, then all of a sudden you get another offer for another job and you only got a week to decide and you gotta decide all of a sudden, do I uproot my family? Do I upend everything? Do I take a risk or do I play it safe with this current job? Or let's say you're in a relationship and things are going fine. At least you thought they're going fine and then all of a sudden you learn a new piece of information. And now you gotta decide, do I look the other way or do I rock the boat and potentially risk causing a serious problem in this relationship? And the problem is in both of those examples, okay, in life surprise decisions is you have a time deadline. Like that job offer isn't gonna wait forever. That relationship, like you gotta figure out, like it's gotta move, either you gotta move forward or you gotta end the thing. Because time is limited with these surprise decisions, surprise decisions, because time is limited, we often don't have enough time to gather all the proper data that we need to make the best decision. So it's in those situations that today's question comes in especially handy because today's question is the conscience question and it says this, is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Let's be honest. Sometimes when we're going through life and we're considering certain options, we don't often admit it, but there's something inside of us that's a little uneasy. Something that makes us hesitate. Something that just doesn't feel right. It's just uncomfortable with the situation. And the tendency in these situations is to ignore it, to move past it, that it's not a big deal, that you know what, you just got to kind of get through that. But I have learned, and I wanna encourage you today, I have learned that sometimes this is the biggest mistake that you can make. And that oftentimes, believe it or not, it's that little hesitation, that little gut feeling of something's off here, that little voice that says, mm, are you sure? Sometimes it's that little voice that actually is the voice of God and the Holy Spirit speaking inside of us. Now let's do a biology lesson right here, boys and girls, is that all of us as human beings, Christian or non-Christian, all of us, are born with something called a conscience. A conscience is part of who we are as human beings. And the conscience tells us certain things are right and certain things are not right. 
Okay, you don't need anyone to teach you that murder is wrong. Okay, it's part of the human, the, 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 the conscience of all human beings, murder is wrong. Okay, everyone knows that. Lying is the same way. Everyone naturally knows lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Um, shopping on Amazon during sermons. Everyone knows that's wrong. Like what, what could be more obvious than, than not paying attention during a sermon? That's the conscience. We as Christians, we have something in addition. We have the spirit of the, of the living God, the Holy Spirit inside of us. As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. St. Paul says that we have something extra. Everyone has a conscience. We have been given something extra. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God inside of us that we might know things that other people wouldn't know. How does this work with the conscience? So again, all of us have a conscience. Having the Holy Spirit, he uses the conscience, but he goes even beyond it. For example, like I said, every conscience will tell you that murder is wrong, but your conscience won't tell you to forgive 70 times seven. That's the Holy Spirit. Your conscience won't tell you to turn the other cheek. That's the Holy Spirit. Your conscience won't tell you to go the second mile. Your conscience won't tell you to make peace when you're the victim. Your conscience won't tell you to give when you're lacking. That's the Holy Spirit and the voice of God inside of us. Now, here's the thing. That voice of God is oftentimes not a shout. It's oftentimes a still voice, a quiet voice, a whisper. And you have two choices. When you hear that whisper, you have two choices. You can listen. You can be attentive. You can say, what's that? And I promise you, when you do that, the voice gets louder. Okay? The more we are attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the louder it gets. The other thing that you can do is you can push it down. You can tell it, shh. You can ignore it. Or you can, as the scripture says, okay, the New Testament word for this is quench. That's what's called quenching the Holy Spirit. Think of it like a fire. You have burning and you quench it is when you pour water on it and it's slowly, slowly, slowly. That's what many of us do for the voice of the Holy Spirit is we slowly quench it and we push it down and we shove it down. So eventually we've shushed the Holy Spirit out of our lives. But I'm telling you, it is a mistake to do that. It is a mistake to shush that voice because I promise you oftentimes, it is, that is the means by which God is directing our lives and leading us. And he's saving us and protecting us from decisions that we don't see the outcome and we don't know where it's going to lead, but he knows where it is. And so often we say, we wish God would speak to us. We get, wish God would make his will clear. Well, I'm telling you today that oftentimes it's in that still small voice that God speaks his will. And I'm challenging you today not to ignore it or dismiss it, but to embrace it and pay attention to it. Now, th there's a second version of this still small voice, of the tension that is sometimes created when we have to make a decision. The first version was that, that gut feel inside, okay? That, that feeling of tension on the inside of us. The second version is a little bit less subtle. It's that gut feeling or tension inside someone else. It's the voice, okay, you've all been there. Nothing is more annoying than this. When you are considering a decision, and you have weighed the facts, and you have made up your mind, I'm gonna go in this direction, and you feel good about it, and nothing is bothering you, and you're ready to move. And then someone comes along, 
Okay, usually our mothers, okay, is usually how it turns out, okay, or our wives, or our sister, or our, or someone close to us, okay, it doesn't have to be male or female, it's just someone, but oftentimes it's our moms. Someone comes and points out something that you hadn't thought of and that you didn't pay attention to, and now all of a sudden, you are so ready to move forward with that decision, and now there's a tension that's been created. Now there's a second guess or a hesitation. You know, speaking of moms, my mom passed away earlier this year. But oftentimes when I'm like going about my day, I can actually hear her voice in my head sometimes. Okay, not necessarily the way that you think, but I hear her voice saying, put on your sweater. Okay, it's cold outside. You're not going to put on a sweater. Okay, because my mom used to always yell at me. I used to go out with shorts in the winter. She put on, put on, you know, some warm clothes. I can hear her tell me, don't eat chocolate before you go to bed. Okay, <laughs> because she used to, somehow they thought that I had like a, an allergy to chocolate. They used to tell me I was allergic to chocolate. That's what some doctor said. So don't eat chocolate before you get it. It'll up your, set your stomach. Okay, and I still hear her voice. You know what else I hear sometimes? I hear her say, in her particular voice, I hear her say, it's up to you, okay? It's up to you. And in case, in case you don't know what I'm saying, my mom would say it's up to you is basically her way of saying, you can make that decision. It's up to you. But she knows that it's wrong and she thinks that it's wrong, but she has this way of saying, it's up to you. And then you're left to wrestle with that. As annoying as that voice is, whether it's our mom or someone else, as annoying as that voice is, what I have learned is oftentimes that's how God speaks. And I'm not saying you have to blindly listen to what anyone tells you. I'm not saying it that way. But what I'm saying is you owe it to yourself. If there's someone in your life, a mom, a dad, a friend, a, a brother, a sister, a priest, okay, if there's someone in your life who cares about you and loves you and takes the time to raise that concern, you owe it to yourself to embrace it. You owe it to yourself to pay attention to the tension, not to dismiss it, not to say, you know, what do they know? It's none of their business. Why are they meddling in my life? You owe it to yourself to wrestle with it and to be sure that there isn't something that needs to be addressed. I thought of a story, okay? I got a couple stories here about where this happened to me where someone brought up a, 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 something I wasn't aware of and I listened to it. I have many stories, which is the opposite, where I didn't pay attention to the tension, okay? And I'm sure you do as well, but those are just too painful to recount. So let's stick with the positive stories. Several years ago, several, several, several years ago, there was a time where we had thought about ordaining a, another priest for the church, okay? Several, several, several years ago. And we prayed about it. Okay. It wasn't just me. It was, a, it was, you know, we prayed about it. We thought about it. We discussed it. We did pros and cons. Like we had the spreadsheet. We did everything, 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 everything. And we felt very strong that this is the decision. Okay. This is the direction we're going to go. And like, we're getting ready to, you know, speak to the person and say, you know, we think that you should be a priest. And then all of a sudden someone came and did the most annoying thing. And they said, are you sure? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I'm sure. Look at the spreadsheet, okay? Look at the pros and the cons. Like we discussed it, like it's not just me. Mind is made up, of course, we are sure. And that's it. That's pretty much all that person said and that sweetest way that that person could say it. And okay, just letting you know. And none of the facts changed. None of the data changed. Nothing changed. But all of a sudden, there was a tension. Something just felt like, uh, 
Something was gnawing at me. Something made me feel a little uneasy, a little bit uncomfortable. And I had two choices in that situation. I could stick with my spreadsheet. I could push ahead and say, you know what? On paper, it all makes sense. Let's go for it. Or I could pay attention to the tension. And I could wrestle with it. And I could explore it a little bit. And I, thankfully, I decided the second route. And I took that person's voice, okay? And I said, you know what? Let me, let me look at this. Let me think about it. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Something happens when you pay attention to the tension. Your eyes are open. And all of a sudden, you see things that you didn't see before. You notice things that you didn't notice before. You realize things that you're like, how did I not see that before? How did I not understand that before? And finally, okay, just to fast forward to the story here, it became obvious that with this person, the are you sure, it became obvious this person was 100% correct. And we did not move forward with that. And we avoided a very, what could have been a bad situation and an embarrassing situation and just a, a uncomfortable situation because we paid attention to the tension versus sweeping that voice under the rug. Another example where the tension came from inside. When my wife and I were uh, uh, moving into our current house, okay, we've been now since 2013, I guess, okay, so uh, eight years ago, we moved into our home. And when we were looking for houses, okay, Marianne and I think very, very differently. We look very, very differently, but we complement each other in so many different ways. So we're looking at houses and we looked at, you know, a thousand houses or whatever it was, and we pretty much had it boiled down to two. One she liked, <laughs> <laughs> and one I liked. And I'm a pretty convincing person. And Marianne is the sweetest person on the planet. I can convince her of just about anything because she just go with the flow and okay, whatever. But I could tell she wasn't convinced on this one. I was convinced. She wasn't convinced. So I did what I normally do, just like I said a minute ago. I went to the spreadsheet, okay? And I came up with the top 17 criteria. This is not a joke, by the way. I can share with you the top 17 criteria. And each one was weighted. Okay, so I had 17 criteria and I made her give a score to each house on these 17 criteria, one through 10, and I made her weight the importance of each one and it became a big thing and she just wanted to say, just make whatever decision you want. But I didn't want that. I wanted to see, and the criteria, the spreadsheet said that my decision was better than hers. But I wasn't comfortable with that. There was something inside that says, I can't move forward if my wife isn't fully on board, how, like how can I move forward and just say, ha ha, the spreadsheet said it. So I embraced the tension. I paid attention to it. And I said, you know what? Let's keep looking. Even though my spreadsheet says this is a good one, let's keep looking. And thankfully, okay, long story short, God led us to our current house where we both felt from probably the minute that we saw it, this is the right house for us. And actually we knew even before we saw it, because as many of you know, I live, my address, our house is on Happy Heart Lane. Yes, it's called Happy Heart Lane. I didn't make that up. A lot of people think I make it up just for to be funny. That's actually the name of my street. So if for no other reason, if for no other reason, us, me paying attention to the tension gave me the ability to say, I live on Happy Heart Lane, which is worth it totally whenever you tell your address to someone on the phone or someone comes and says, really, that's what you live on Happy Heart Lane? It's totally worth it just for that reason of nothing else. But my point here is that I wouldn't have gotten to that good decision if I didn't pay attention to the tension. If I didn't embrace the discomfort, if I just pushed through and said, well, the spreadsheet says, the numbers say, well, I've already made up my mind. I wouldn't have gotten to what I feel is the best decision for both me and my family. Proverbs chapter 22, verse three says it this way. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Which one of these is you? 
The prudence see danger and take refuge. They hear, they see something alarming, red flag, and they pause. The simple just keep going and ignore the tension. So how about you? Is there a tension in your life that deserves attention? Is your gut telling you something? Is there a still a small voice, whether it's an internal voice or like I said, a voice from someone else's Holy Spirit inside their guts? Is there a voice that's telling you, are you sure? Don't you want to think about that again? How, how, why, how can you be so confident? I'm telling you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will never regret. You will never regret pausing and embracing it and listening as opposed to squashing it and shoving it down. Even if your decision is the same in the end, you will never regret pausing long enough to ask yourself, is there a tension that deserves my attention? So here's our challenge for this week. Okay, our challenge for this week, I want you to commit to doing the following. I will explore, not ignore, my conscience. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. I made it rhyming for you, so to make it easy. I will explore, not ignore, my conscience. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. If there's a voice inside me saying something's off, I will explore that voice. I won't dismiss it. I'll explore, I'll embrace. If there's a friend who's saying, this is a bad idea. I'll stop tuning out that friend and saying, what do you know? Stop meddling in my life. I will pause and find the cause of that hesitation because you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people around you that if there's a hesitation, if there's a tension, whether it's internal or external, you owe it to yourself to pay attention to it. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story of someone in the scripture who did a good job of this, who paid attention to a very very small, still voice and made an incredible decision that to this day you look back on and you say, thank God you made that decision because he went down in the history books as one of the greatest people in God's eyes and in God's family. And this is one of the reasons why. We're going to look at the story of King David. Now, King David, many of us know his story, but just as, as, as to give context, King David, as a young boy, was chosen to be the second king of Israel. The problem was when he was chosen, the first king of Israel was still on the throne. And most of the time, first kings aren't fans of second kings while they're still alive. So what happened was, is God sends Samuel the prophet to David, okay, to David's house. God had decided Saul, who was the first king, okay, he's going to replace him because Saul had strayed and gone astray. So God sends Samuel to David's house and anoints him as king. And like I said, you're the king right now, but because there's already a king on the throne, you just sit tight right here until the appointed time. So David spends his first hundred days in office, okay? His first hundred days as king, as a shepherd tending to the sheep. Not the most exciting way to do that. Eventually, he becomes a soldier and he fights in many battles and he becomes like a famous war hero. Okay, and he becomes even more popular than the, the, than the king who is Saul. And obviously, this doesn't make Saul happy at all. It said this way in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. The people would sing this song. It says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's what the people would chant. They used to just say, Saul, Saul, he's our man. And now all of a sudden, it's Saul has slain thousands. He's good. But David, his ten thousands, and this did not sit well with the king. 
Saul is furious, and Saul tries to kill David. And on many occasions, David has to flee and dodge when Saul is trying to kill him. Eventually, it gets to the point that it's no longer safe for David to be around, so David becomes a fugitive. Okay, he becomes he's a wanted man, so basically he is running for his life and he goes out into the wilderness in hiding. While he's there, because he's a, a famous legend, okay, he's the guy who killed Goliath, that'll get you some street cred anywhere you go. He attracts other fugitives, other men who are running from the law as well, and they become like his band of merry men, and they're all out in the wilderness and they're running from the king. Saul, filled with envy, has decided. We are going to hunt for this young David and we are going to kill him. Okay, because again, the envy that's boiling up inside him. So Saul has his entire army hunting for David. That's where we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul the king with his army on a manhunt for David in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, take note. David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rock of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. Now there's not something you see every day. <laughs> okay, what happens right here is David... Okay, Saul finds out, okay, his intelligence determines David and his men are in this wilderness of En Gedi. And En Gedi, just to kind of give you, paint the picture, is like this rocky, barren desert with mountains and hills everywhere. And in those mountains and hills, there's a bunch of caves. Here's a picture of modern day En Gedi, and you can see what I'm talking about. You see that mountains everywhere and these little nooks and crannies or these little caves everywhere. Well, as it turns out that Saul... While he's on this manhunt with his army, the 3,000 soldiers, all of a sudden, nature calls. And Saul has to go to the bathroom. Now, for anyone else other than the king, if you are on a manhunt in the middle of the wilderness, okay, with no one around, and you need to go to the bathroom, you just go. Or you just, you, 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 you just go. But when you're the king, that's not how it works. When you're the king, you get to stop the parade. Because the king doesn't just go in public. So what happens is Saul, as they're marching down, kind of gives the royal signal, or I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like this, or probably in this case, it was like this. Okay, he gives the royal signal, and all of a sudden the caravan stops, everyone's on pause, and Saul goes to find a private place. He goes into a cave, a private cave. There's a million of them on the mountain, and he goes in to find privacy. Now, when he enters that cave... Again, a million of them on these mountains. He actually discovers, or he doesn't discover, but we discover soon that he's not alone in that cave. Verse 3. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. What are the odds? I want you to imagine the scene right here. Well, don't imagine too much, okay? But just imagine a little bit, okay? Saul, out with his men, gives the royal signal. And he, they lead him up to this private cave and he says, okay, leave me here. Okay, go away. Give him his privacy. And he goes in the cave, but of course he's been out in the sun all day. So his eyes aren't used to the dark. So it's like a dark cave. Okay, he's kind of, he can't see anything. And he goes in just far enough so that no one on the outside can see him. So he has his privacy. He loosens his belt, takes off his robe, 
grabs his magazine and gets in squatting position. <laughs> well, maybe not a magazine. And as he's doing that, lo and behold, who's behind him is David and a few of his fugitive soldier guys, okay, a few of his merry men. And what are the odds that Saul has to go potty in the same cave that David just happens to be hiding out in? If you're David and his, and his men, you're thinking to yourself, from God. Like, this can't be coincidence. Like, this can't be coincidence. There's a million caves on this mountain. What are the odds? Clearly, this is God's way of delivering Saul into our hands. This is like a gift from God. Remember, David never ran for office as king. David never applied for the position. It was God who came to him and says, I'm going to make you the king. I'm going to anoint you, but there's this Saul guy. I'm going to get rid of Saul. That's what God said. So clearly right now, God is fulfilling his promise. God said, I'm going to get rid of Saul. I'm going to bring you on the throne. So clearly God is fulfilling that promise. And that's how the men of, of David think. Verse four. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day of which the Lord has said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. The men are thinking, yes, exactly. Gift from God. This is the day that the Lord has made. God promised. Now God is fulfilling. God promised to you, David, and you promised to us. Okay, David told his men, one day I'm going to be king because that's what God told me. Well, now here it is. It's all right in front of you. God anointed you king. The only thing waiting or standing in the way of you being king is that guy, is Saul being dead. And now look, God has delivered him to you in the most vulnerable position possible, game over. But if you know the story of David, that's not what happened. David felt a tension. David felt a little uneasy. David's gut was telling him something's off here. And while David could have pushed through, and while David could have ignored it, and David could have stuffed that voice down, David did exactly what I told you a minute ago. David said, I'm going to explore, not ignore that little voice. David said, I'm going to pause and find the cause of my hesitation. And that's exactly what he did. And I don't know what happened. The scripture doesn't tell us, okay, what it was that made him hesitate or what it was that went through his mind. Maybe it was like last week where we talked about what story do you want to tell? Maybe David started to think to himself, what story do I want to tell? Is this a story that I want? Like when my kids and my grandkids say, hey, grandpa, tell us again how you became king. Tell us again how you snuck up on Saul while he was in the potty and you cut his head off. Like, is that the story that I want to tell? Maybe David thought back and maybe like a Sunday school lesson on murder came to him from like third grade about how every life belongs to God, not to me. That I didn't bring Saul into this world and I don't have the right to take him. That from the moment of conception to the moment of the last breath, life belongs to God. And unless you caused it, you have the, no, you, unless you brought it, you don't have the right to take it. Okay. And no one has the right to take someone else's life. Or, going back to what I said earlier, maybe it was his mom's voice. Maybe it's his mom's voice inside saying, David, trust God. David, don't take matters into your own hands. David, do the right thing. Whatever it was, there was a tension. And David decided to pay attention. Verse 4 says, And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And the men are thinking to himself, why did he cut the robe? Why didn't he cut the neck? 
Or why didn't he cut the heart? That's what they were thinking to themselves. And actually, it gets worse. Not only David doesn't kill him, verse 5, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. What? David feels bad because he cut the robe? Like, okay, I'm sure it was a nice robe and all, but like, you, you could have cut his head off. And David, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, feels bad. And all of a sudden, his men are thinking, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? This is our golden opportunity. Verse six. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. Saul left and you can see, you can almost hear it. All of David's men saying, <sighs> disappointment because a golden opportunity just walked out that cave. <clears throat> now, I want to pause the story here for a second. Okay, we'll continue in a minute here, but let me pause. And I want to just point out something. Point out something that you and I have in common with David at this moment. And while it seems obvious, okay, I'm going to say it, and it seems like so obvious. You're going to say, of course, Father, anything that's so obvious. While it seems obvious, I promise you, in the moment, we are tempted. You are tempted to think the exact opposite of this. But thankfully for David, David was smart enough to realize this, and I hope you are as well. And that is this. We never know what the outcome of our decisions will be. We never know what the outcome of our decisions will be. We think we know. We like to, to, to pretend like, oh yeah, we're sure. This is how it's going to turn out. But in the end, let's be honest. We're just guessing. We're just hoping. We're just wishing. There is no guarantee, and David knew that. Who said who said that things were going to work out for David if he had killed Saul on the spot? Like in David's mind and his men's mind, the, the story was going to be easy. David's going to kill Saul. Okay, Saul goes in there to go to the bathroom. All the men are watching. Okay, their king go up there. David's already in there. He's going to cut his head off just like he did for Goliath. He's going to walk out of the cave with David's head in his hand, right? Or with Saul's head in his hand. And he's going to say, the king is dead. I'm the new king. And everyone's going to say, all hail David. And he's going to walk out of there and there's going to be a new king on the throne, a new kingdom, okay, a new regime. And it's going to have happened with no war, no armies, no bloodshed, other than Saul, obviously. What could be smoother? And the story is going to be that David trusted God. God delivered him into his hands, Saul into his hands. David did what was the natural thing. Glory be to God forever. Everyone lives happily ever after. But says who? Who says that's how it's going to work? Can you guarantee that it's going to go that way? Like, come on, David was smart enough and you're smart enough to realize that nothing ever goes according to plan. There's always twists and turns. There's always unforeseen consequences. There's always things that come up that we couldn't have predicted in a million years. And the reason why, the reason why we are tempted to ignore the tension and not pay attention to it, the reason why we're tempted to ignore is because we think that we can predict outcomes. We think we know how things will turn out. We think, you know what? Yeah, I'll move ahead with the relationship. I'll ignore that tension. Don't worry, everything will be fine. We'll get married. Once we're married, everything will be fine. We think we can predict outcomes. We think, yeah, you know what? The job, okay, and the balance, and, and I won't be home, but don't worry. It'll be okay because we'll just adjust for it this way, and I'll be able to balance it. Don't worry about me. I won't lose myself. 
We think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take a break from church, but don't worry, it won't affect me. It won't affect me. No, 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 I, 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 I can still, I, God only exists in the church. No, it won't affect me. We do this all the time. We make decisions thinking that we can predict outcome. How many couples out there, how many couples thought that they could predict the outcome and say, you know what? I know everyone says divorce is hard and I know everyone says divorce will affect the kids, but don't worry, we got a plan and it'll be okay and we'll make it work and we got this thing figured out. How many people made decisions thinking they could predict outcomes? Thinking you can predict an outcome is a grave mistake. This is why, this is why you have said, you have said, if I only knew. You can look back on your life and say, oh, if I only knew then. Oh, I wish I had known. Well, that's the point, is we don't know. You don't know what hangs in the balance. You don't know the outcome of your decisions. And pretending that you do, or wishing that you do, is a recipe for disaster. Just look back on your own life. Did your job turn out exactly as you predicted it would? Did your marriage turn out exactly as you predicted? Having kids, I know for sure that the answer one's no. Having kids turn out exactly as you predicted? Did retirement turn out exactly as you predicted? Tell me anything in life that works out exactly as you predicted. It's foolish to think that we know the outcome of our decisions. And I'll tell you a related story, okay? We got the story here of David and Saul. Let's pause that story for a second. And let's talk about a related story one generation earlier, okay? That, that proves this point about, actually about how Saul became king. The reason Israel is in this mess, the reason Israel's in this mess with Saul is because before Saul came around, they had no king. God was their king. God was their leader. And the people came and said, they came to Samuel, who was the prophet, and they said, Samuel, we want to have a king. And we need to have a king. We need to be like all the other nations. And Samuel said, you know what? Not a good idea. It's not going to work out good for you. And they said, no, it will. We know what the outcome will be. We'll be able to fight wars like other kings or like other nations with kings. It'll be cool to have a king. We'll have a throne. We'll have a temple. It'll be great to have a king. We know how this will turn out. And Samuel came to them and said, guys, y'all are wrong. The king will cause problems. Okay. The king will take your sons and make them soldiers. He'll take your daughters and make them servants. He'll take the best of your fields for himself. He'll take the best of your animals for his service. It is not going to go well with you if you have a king. I promise you. First Samuel chapter eight, verse 18. Samuel says it this way. You will cry out in that day. You will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Samuel warns them, this is a mistake. Samuel was the tension. Samuel was the voice saying, are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? Are you really sure? And don't you want to examine it? And don't you want to pause and ask the, and see the cause? Their response, verse 19. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, Samuel being the tension. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They ignored the tension. They refused to heed the voice. They did not embrace They and chose to ignore. And they thought they knew better. And this is a perfect example of be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. Be careful what you ask for because you, you just might get it. The kings of Israel, if you study the history of the people of God, the kings were all the problems. All the problems were caused by the kings. The vast majority of them led them further from God and took them into very dark times in their history. And then you think to yourself, if we had just paid attention to that tension, if we could go back in time and listen to what Samuel said, 
if we can go back and embrace versus ignore, life might look differently. Let's go back to David and Saul. Okay. Thankfully for us, David did pay attention to the tension. I should say thankfully for him. He paid attention to the tension. He embraced it. He didn't ignore it. He paused and asked the cause. So he goes into to Saul. He's in the cave. Saul comes in, goes to the bathroom. He cuts off the robe. The men can't believe it. Golden opportunity lost. And then the story continues. Saul walks out of the cave. None, none the wiser for what just happened. He had no idea how close he just came to death. He walks out of the cave. He rejoins his men. And then all of a sudden, as he's walking back to his horse or to his carriage, he hears a voice coming from the same direction that he just came from. And it sounds like a familiar voice. For Samuel 24, 8. David went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Oh my goodness, talk about drama. David, Saul had walked out. David comes out, and I picture it with a piece of the robe in his hand, and says, my lord, the king. And all of a sudden, Saul is like, what? And all the men, think of the army, Saul's army. They're on a manhunt. They're 3,000 soldiers, all the resources of the king. And they're trying to find this guy. And all of a sudden, he just walks out of, of the king's bathroom after the king was just in there. Oh my goodness. And he bows down to the ground, David does, and says, my lord, the king. And he gives honor and respect. Oh my goodness. Talk about humility. Talk about doing the right thing. Talk about trusting in God. Oh my goodness. Verse 10. Look, this is what David says. Look this day. Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the, let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand, listen carefully, my hand shall not be against you. Boom. David says, basically, paraphrase, says, look here, Saul. I'm going to do the right thing, even though you don't do the right thing. I'm going to leave this in God's hands. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. You've been trying to kill me and you haven't been able to do it. I had a perfect opportunity to kill you and I chose not to do it. Why? Because there was a tension inside me that says something's not right. This isn't what God wants you to do. There was a tension inside and I decided to pay attention to it because I learned, Saul, I learned that oftentimes it's that still small voice, that little whisper, that little feeling of uneasy, that little feeling of, are you sure? That is oftentimes the way God leads us and directs us and saves us from decisions that we will regret. And while I realize, King, that all you people are, you're going to judge me, the worst political decision, the worst military decision, the worst leadership decision in the history of all mankind, I know I just made, I will not ignore the tension. I will not ignore the tension. I will pay attention to it. I will explore, not ignore. I will pause and find the cause. I will obey that little voice inside and I will trust him with the consequences. There's another verse from the Old Testament, which wasn't said by David. Okay, it was said by Moses, but I think it perfectly captures this same sentiment. It's from Exodus chapter 14. And Moses says this to the people. 
He says, do not be afraid. This is right before they cross the Red Sea. Do not be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Which he will accomplish for you today. Not you, which he will accomplish. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And I think this perfectly captures what David would have said. David said, look, I will not fight for myself. I will trust in God. I will not take matters into my own hands. I will trust in God. I will let him fight for me. And I'll live with those consequences, no matter the outcome. Just to kind of put a bow on this story right here. David says this, Saul is, whether it's embarrassed or humiliated or humbled, whatever the word is, he is is in shock at what David just did right here. And he basically tells his men, calls off the manhunt and says, David is a superior man for sure. Not superior intelligently or military or leadership, superior in terms of humility and superior in terms of godliness and righteousness, calls off the manhunt. Unfortunately, it doesn't last very long. Okay, soon thereafter, David is back on the run because Saul, envy and jealousy get within him again and the manhunt is back on and David goes back into hiding. During this time, okay, Saul is at one point in a battle. Okay, there's a war with the Philistines and there's a battle going on and Saul happens to be there and all of a sudden, randomly, a random archer shoots a random arrow from however many feet away and that random arrow happens to hit Saul and wound him in such a way that he's going to die. Now, because Saul was a king the time at the time what kings didn't want to say that their enemy killed them. So what Saul did when he saw that he was mortally wounded is he fell on his sword and he died. When that happens, word eventually gets to David. Someone comes and tell him, Saul is dead. You are now the king. Okay, it is the will of the people, the voice of the people. The people want you as the king. Now that Saul is dead, you're the king. And look here, David, you did nothing at all and you became the king. You were the only person who became a king without killing the previous king, unless, of course, it was like a a lineage thing. You became a king without killing a king. And I think that David would probably think to himself at this time, two thoughts would pop in David's head. First, I think he'd say is, thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is over. Thank you, God, for fulfilling your word. Thanks be to God. But then I I think the second thought that would run through his head, you know what it would be? I think he'd say to himself, you know, or say to God, you know, God, this decision would have been a lot easier if you had just told me that this was going to happen. Like that decision in the cave, which I wrestled with and struggled with. God, you could have made it a lot easier. But just telling me that, you know what, in a few short chapters, okay, in a few short months, the day that Saul is going to get killed by someone else. You could have made this story a lot easier for me, God, as opposed to me having to wrestle with it. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And that's why we have to pay attention to the tension. Because that is how it works. God was speaking to David. And God was leading David. And God was telling David, don't do this. But the way he was telling him was not with a voice or, or a, a hand in the sky. He was telling him through that tension. And like I said, oftentimes... It's that tension. It's that little uneasiness. It's that discomfort. It's that something gnawing. That's how God speaks to protect us and save us and lead us to the decisions that he knows are best for us. Because as smart as you are, you don't know the outcome of your decision. And I don't know the outcome of my decision. But I know that when God tells me to do something, I know that when God gives me pause, 
I know that when God leads me in a certain direction or away from a certain direction, I know that he does know the outcome, that he's the only one who knows the outcome. That he's the only one who not has to predict, but who can see in full clarity. And I've learned that I'm better off listening. I'm better off embracing. I'm better off paying attention to the tension in the long run. Let's repeat our challenge for this week. And I want you to repeat after me. I want you to do this at home. I will explore, not ignore my conscience. Say it with me. I will explore, not ignore my conscience. Say this with me. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. Again, one more time. I will pause and find the cause of my hesitation. Now, as you consider whatever options in front of you, whatever decisions in front of you right now, and you see the different options, you're considering whether to move ahead or to go the other direction. You're considering whether to go all in or to pull the plug. Let me ask you, is there attention that deserves your attention? And again, you don't got to answer to me. I don't need to know the answer, but you got to be honest with yourself. Is there attention inside you that deserves your attention? Is there a voice? Is there hesitation? Is there a concern? I'm not saying that you pull the plug based on it, but I'm saying that you pause and ask, what is the cause? That you embrace, not ignore. That you look into it and you give it a chance to determine if there's something there or not. Oftentimes, it's when you can't quite put your finger on something that God is speaking. And I want to urge you from the bottom of my heart, because I've seen too many people ignore it. I want to urge you, pay attention to the tension. What starts as an uneasy feeling today may turn into facts and evidence with more time. But like I said at the beginning, the problem is we don't always have the time. And when David allowed the story to play out, the facts, the evidence said that was a good decision. But at the time, all he had was the tension. So let's pay attention to it. Let's embrace it. Let's allow the tension to build up, not squash it down. Let's allow it, like allow it to bother you. Let it fester in there and, 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 and wrestle with it and struggle with it. And maybe, like I said, it's not within, it's a voice outside. Stop shutting that voice up. Stop saying, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Or they're, they're, they're out of touch. Or, you know, that's just a priest. It's just his job to say that. Stop saying that. Embrace it. Listen, because I promise you that ignoring the tension is a sure fire way to a path of regret. And you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself. And you owe it to the people whose lives depend on your decisions. You owe it to them that when there is a tension, to pay attention to the tension, to embrace, not ignore your conscience, and to pause and find the cause of your hesitation. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you because we know that you speak to us. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've done so to guide us, Lord. I pray you would help us all be more sensitive to your voice and not dismiss it and not ignore it and, in, and to hear it clearly, even when it's the voice of someone else, when you're speaking through someone else. Help us to discern your voice clearly so that we can walk in the path that you know is best for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.